And now, coming to you live from the Waldorf Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strawn and Gary K. Wolf poised on the edge of forgetting with the Coot Street Podcast! I'm glad you're still on the edge of forgetting because I went over that ledge hours ago, if not months. <laughs> um, There's so much to forget, Gary. There, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, keep up with reading things for the column. I'm trying to read things for other things. I'm trying to write an introduction to a book, which we can talk about sometime shortly, sure, I hope. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, and, and you're busy and uh, uh, reading all the short stories in the world. So I thought that one of the things we could talk about, since we actually don't have a guest to give us any kind of focus or, or gravitas this time, that we could talk about what we'd like to see and uh, as, as a footnote to that, why there's stuff that we just don't get to see because I don't read a book a day like some really smart people I know do. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I guess I should say as well, this, t- believe it or not, ties in. This idea came up, everybody, just before the podcast was recorded because mm-hmm. we had nothing to talk about. And I never told you this, but the original idea I had for a podcast, the very, very first idea, the one that predates the Cood Street podcast, was I wanted to do a monthly um, podcast with Charles Brown, where what we would do is we would sit down the day after the new issue of Locus came out, and we'd talk about what was in the issue, uh-huh. discuss the subject raised by it, all that kind of thing, which I thought was kind of a cool idea, to, but you know, getting Charles to do anything was always difficult. And in a sense, this ties in, because although the October issue is out, the September issue is the most recent with a forthcoming books column in it. Something which yes. was, yeah, was, was one of the main reasons I ever used to buy the magazine, I have to be honest. I would sit there and I would work out my, my, my shopping list for the next six months. The stuff I had to have, the stuff I was really, really excited about. So mm-hmm. so what I've kind of done, and I think you've done, is I've worked pulled out a lot of the books that I'm really excited about, but haven't read. Some of them are on the... On the um, how would I put it? They're on the cusp. They're sort of they're ones I'm interested in, or ones I've heard now heard good reviews about. I mean, for example, uh-huh. uh, out there, Gary, a lot of people are saying that October is a, a spectacularly good month for science fiction and fantasy. Maybe one of the best ones in years. Now, that kind of hyperbole always makes me a bit uncomfortable, because hey, it's hyperbole, right? Well, of course it is, and I don't know what a good month means. I mean, a good uh, month could mean. Well, we're going to have to have this discussion again in three months' time, where we have to talk about what makes up a good year. Well, that's true. And you see, I was bad. I skipped that last year, and I promised the boss. Hi, Liza. I promised the boss I would actually do it this year. <laughs> so I have to do that. Anyway, this is what I'm looking at coming through the rest of the year. Now, I'm. I, I do. Do I say one of the books that I'm most looking forward to has actually been delayed. And uh, that would be. Well, you might have heard that Angry Robot, the uh, British publisher, has been on the market for a while, and there are various mm. rumors. And then just in the last week or so they were finalized and we now know that um angry robot have been purchased by a independent person you know like not not, not existing book publishing company uh-huh. uh, which is very uh, an investor which is kind of interesting i think uh i think there was they were sold to eaton illfield uh yes. who also purchased osprey imprints nourish and watkins and is setting up uh, watkins media limited or something so anyway interesting the book that impacts on is Madeline Ashby's com- Company Town, which was mm-hmm. due out in October, but which I believe has now been delayed through till the first quarter of 2015. When that comes out, that's one of the books I'm most looking forward to. The description of this science fiction novel is fascinating. Ashby has done really well with her first trilogy of novels that are now completed. Mm-hmm. 
and had a very, very good short story out last year in the, oh, there's an online anthology about the interconnectedness of matter, the name of which escapes me. But it was just really good. So this is a book I'm looking forward to. And we'll come to it. And I hope we'll actually maybe get Madeline on the podcast at the time to talk about the book. I would love to do that. I would love to. The idea that, um, uh, that she's an excellent and, and a relatively new writer. She's yeah. not somebody who's widely known yet. And given the conversations we've had in our last two podcasts about the plight of women science fiction novelists in both the UK and Australia, it's encouraging. It was very encouraging to talk to Anne Leckie last yes. year, who seems to a lot of us to come out of nowhere. And Madeline Ashby looks like another major talent um, who probably will become a major writer in the field if she's not yeah. already. And this, yeah. this novel may be one of the things that determines that. Yeah. Well, now, I don't know whether your list, Gary, because we did this independently, reader, listeners, uh, corresponds to month at all. So I don't want to talk over your recommendations at all. Well, I, I, I okay, we, we can go month by month and I can see if there's... I've, I've circled it. I went, okay, Locus's forthcoming books list has, on in the print magazine, has a selected books by author and then... Complete books by publisher. Yeah. And the books by publisher is overwhelming because it's just everything that's coming up. Well, there's always um, something good buried in there. But one of the reasons... Always, I, some, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. One of the reasons uh, that October looks so good is this batch of books. You know, I think one of the books I'm most excited about is William Gibson's The per Peripheral, which is mm -hmm. due out towards the end of the month. And in fact, Gary, I think we're going to just miss seeing him because he'll be in... He's actually in Washington, D.C. the same weekend that we are. Actually, he arrives in Washington the same weekend, but he arrives from Chicago, but I will have left Chicago before then. So, <laughs> so any new William Gibson novel looks fascinating to me, and the sa this one sounds really, really good. And it sounds like a real science fiction novel. I mean, I think it's it's the current issue of Locus that has Russ Letson's review, isn't it? Exactly. That's true. So, And Russell is somebody who's – actually, I should say this, since he probably doesn't listen to podcasts at all. He's probably my oldest friend in this field. There you go. And he's not that Russ, old. I, he, he's, he's close to as old as I am or probably older. Yeah, uh, you both are pretty damn which, old. Which is, which is really, really old. <laughs> uh, really old. But I, I, I have Russell, to admit, yeah, sorry, yeah, continue. Just to, I'm, I'm just being nostalgic. I'm being, I'm yeah. being a cranky old guy now. Before there was even a science fiction convention you could go to and talk about academic things before there were academic tracks at science fiction conventions. I think maybe before there was a science fiction research association, Russell and I would meet at something called the popular culture association, yeah. uh, which is this massive goofy kind of thing that probably still goes on somewhere. And I probably have known him for 40 years. I'm going to guess. Yeah. Well, he loved the book. It's a November and book. He, and he's, he's a good reader of, of yeah. And, and Russell is also, who likes hard SF and he wants, he's been wanting for years for Gibson to write an SF, SF novel. Which and it sounds will probably like never do again, right? Well, he'll never do, he'll never do Neuromancer again and he shouldn't. No, he should not. Uh, but this is, you know, the first new book in four years and I, it sounds terrific. It's all to do with gaming and all kinds of other things like that. The reviews are great, and any word from uh, you know, about Bill Gibson has got to be an interesting thing. Well, first of all, he's an excellent writer, and I look forward to reading this. And secondly, he's practically invented a genre which other people have begun to pick up on a little bit here and there uh, of what I'm, I've begun to think of as possible science fiction. Yeah. That is, you're reading something like Spook Country, let's say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And 
you don't know whether it's science fiction or not because you're just not as cool as Gibson is. <laughs> I will say, because I'm looking at it, one of the things I used to do, and I haven't done as much of late, Gary, because, hey, life gets busy, is I used mm -hmm. to uh, skim through Amazon just to see what publishers were saying was coming mm -hmm. out that they haven't put down anywhere else. But sadly, because not all information is shared perfectly, when I look mm -hmm. at Locus's forthcoming books, and it'll probably be in the next forthcoming listing, I'm sure, uh, they mentioned there is a new Neil Stevenson novel coming, Gary. Really? Yes. This book is called Seven Eyes, Seven Eves. Seven Eves is a new Neil Gibson novel, uh, sorry, Neil Stevenson novel, due from Morrow in May. Mm -hmm. And it is nothing less, let's list this being 1,056 pages long, Gary, at which I quail. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a part of me, that when I get a novel over 600 pages, I quail. Yeah. And yet, I, for some reason, and I don't know what it is that Stevenson does, or maybe he just is on my wavelength, uh, when, I, when I, I, I made my way through Anathem thinking, this is going to be awful, and then the novels always accelerate. Yeah. And, and then I did his, um, okay, I'm blanking, his spy novel that came out um, um, after Anathem. The, um, yeah, the other one you made. The, yeah. And, uh, Didn't it, read it, so. It was... It was it was three times as long as it needed to be for the plot. But that's not what you read a Neil Stevenson novel for. No, you read it for all the other stuff. But we've got to pick exactly. up the pace. We're not going to recommend stuff, Gary. Okay, so, pick on other things. Okay, what else have you got? October, a book that you've already reviewed and mentioned on the podcast, The Doubt Factory by Paolo Bacigalupi, hits the stands this month. And, and The Doubt Factory? Yep. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it looks like a really interesting, almost science fictional novel. You know, to, you know, one that's of interest, associational interest to those of us who read science fiction and love Paolo's work. And I think that Paolo is exactly, as a matter of fact, that book is one of the ones that I had exactly in mind when I talked about Bill Gibson writing. You're not quite sure whether it's science fiction or not. Yep. Uh, in the case yep. of Paolo's novel, it's 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 what you know. It, it's the kind of thing that a near future thriller used to be. There was a there was a genre back in the '60s and '70s. There were novels like Seven Days in May and Failsafe, bestsellers that were really science fiction, but really weren't. And then Paolo's novel, if you're willing to accept some imaginary drugs and some imaginary corrupt corporations, it's science fictional. Outside of that, it's a good thriller, and it reads yep. very much like Paolo Bacigalupi novel. Yep. I'm also crazily excited, believe it or not, assuming I can find time. And these, these are the books that I'll probably now read in January after I've done recommended reading and everything else. Uh, Bathing the Lion by Jonathan Carroll, his first new book to come out in the, the U.S. and the U.K. in years and years and years. This one came out in Poland last year, and you've already mm -hmm. read and reviewed it. Mm -hmm. And it looks spectacularly good. I think it's wonderful. I think it's um, – Carroll – well, the review, I guess, isn't going to be out until November at this point. Yeah. But nevertheless, he's a very – Difficult writer to get a, a handle on because his imagination goes off the rails in all kinds of ways that ought not to work. And he's also one of the warmest and most humane fantasy writers yeah. I can think of. You care about his characters. Yes. Um, and, and, and you care about his dogs. They're always dogs. <laughs> and yes. They're always nice dogs. Um, and this one just seems to, to me to be um, more completely realized on the two different levels that it works on. One is very mainstream kind of realistic portrait of a small Vermont town. The other is 
okay, the other is basically a Doctor Who scenario. <laughs> uh, it's no secret, because I think it's on the dust jacket of the book and probably on the description on Amazon, that these ordinary people turn out to be mechanics who are essentially time lords. Their job is to save the universe from chaos. Yeah. Only they've all been retired and forgot that they used to be mechanics, and now they're operating clothing stores and nightclubs and things. Uh, and he brings that together in a way that nobody else could do. I, I was trying to think about, I always, as a reviewer, try to think of what you can compare this to. And there's very little that you can compare Jonathan Carroll to. I had a brief conversation with Neil Gaiman about this book, Drop's Name, mm -hmm. last October when we were in Brighton for World Fantasy, and he'd, he'd just read it. And he was desperately mm -hmm. eager to find someone to talk about it because he was so excited about how good a book it is. You know, So there's that. I mean, we've got the Gibson, we've got... The, the Carol. Um, also, a very, very exciting book, I think, one I'm excited about, one I think mm -hmm. you're going to be excited about, is we are about to get Ancillary Sword, the second Anne Leckie novel that follows on from mm -hmm. last year's Ancillary Justice, which Russell Letson of this parish, sort of semi-parish, I guess, um, mm -hmm. reviewed for the current Locus and described as being better than Ancillary Justice. Which I can see. I mean, it's it's that's very encouraging because... When somebody invents an interesting world like this and sort of invents a way of using pronouns, yeah. um, then you always are concerned. And I've seen this happen more than once with writers who I admired the first novel in a trilogy. And then you read the second novel and you realize, okay, this is the first novel again. Yeah. Um, and then at some point you realize this person has basically spent his or her entire life since childhood working out this imaginary world. And they don't really know what to do with it. The sense I got from Ancillary Justice was that this was clearly only part of the story, that she really had an arc in mind, and that uh, it could really get better as she tunes her instrument, which, yeah. according to Russell's review, she seems to be doing. And certainly what Russell said is a much more focused, uh, compact yeah. bo uh, book. It's a space station novel, basically, very mm -hmm. much in the tradition of, say, the great C.J. Cherry Space Station novels. So something I'm really excited about. Um, I'd also touch on, there's a couple, there's a couple other things. I, I, again, I'm a great lover of uh, Garth Nix's Old Kingdom books, mm -hmm. Sabriel, Lyriel, and Aborson. I think that Garth is a, is a very good writer who becomes a really terrific writer when he writes the Old Kingdom books. There's something mm -hmm. about his voice that resonates with these stories, and he's got a prequel novel called Clariel, that has just hit the bookstores this week. Now, that's a prequel. Yeah, it's uh, set it? hundreds of years before Lyriel, uh, Sabriel. So if you haven't read Sab it, the other, the, the other you know, the rest of the books in the series, you don't need to have to read this one. So it's a great uh -huh. entry point to uh, Garth, who strikes me, although he's a close and dear friend of me at mine, so I'm, I'm pre prejudiced, as one of the most overlooked writers at the World Fantasy Awards that I can think of. Someone who really deserves to be recognized there in a way that he's been, not been. And I'm not. I'm yet to read Clariel, but I'm really excited about it. Let me throw out a title, which is also uh, an October title that I just actually I, I, I've not read it, but it's an author I used to read regularly, and this looks like a kind of um, it's I don't know what the word magnum opus is not the right word. I'm talking about Sherry S. Tepper. Yep, uh, who's written some of the most. Um, she was writing what they now call ecofeminist novels before there was such a word as ecofeminism. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's very consistent with that. And some of these um, are, so, some of these are classics. I think A Plague of Angels is classic. I mean, um, she's been doing this for decades now. 
And the new novel, which is called Fish Tales, apparently um, is a kind of, in some ways, a summation or looking back at her career. It's, it's, it's a long novel of, let me look, 700 and some pages that introduces or reintroduces characters from her earliest novels, from her, um, she started out really as a fantasy writer with, um, um, there was the true, Blood. yeah, there was the true yeah. game series, which is King's Blood four and it's six, six sequels or something. Exactly. There was the Marianne and the Mages, the Manticore novels, a whole bunch of great books that I loved. I mean, I read her passion, the first 20 books, I guess, but not, you know, since the mid to late nineties, I guess. And she wrote well, one, I think, truly great book in Grass, mm -hmm. which won the Hugo. Right. And I, I think a lot of these novels are, uh, basically a lot of them seem to come back to the same message, which, which is a very passionate uh, ecological message, essentially. Mm -hmm. Six Moon Dance and The Family Tree and Gibbon's Decline and Fall and Shadow's End and The Plague of Angels and Beauty, which is a very nice take on the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. But this apparently, and I've never seen anybody do something quite like this before, She's, these earlier novels are in completely separate fantasy worlds. It's a fantasy series, the, <clears throat> the King's Blood for the, the, the series of two game novels. And then there are the science fiction novels, all of which have different settings. And apparently in this new one, she revisits characters from all those novels, from different worlds that she's created. It does. But I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like a valedictory know. tour for, you know, in some ways like an aging novelist, maybe getting towards the end of her writing career. She is in her mid eighties or so, I think now. It, and, it, it does look a lot like uh, you know the, the the final tour of I don't I don't want to say Liza Minnelli that would be mean. No, no, uh, I but, don't. But what I would say so about it, it though is I think I feel like attention's passed her by. There was a time in the eighties and nineties when people were talking about new Cher new Tepper books and getting really excited, and so I'm really happy there's a new one that maybe will rekindle some of that interest, also in her older books as well. So maybe. Once you've read it, it'll be interesting to check in and see what you thought. It'll be very interesting to see, and I hope that uh, there's a younger generation, especially a younger generation of women writers, who will rediscover some of those earlier classics, because I don't know if new readers are discovering them now. Yeah. I have one other October title, and I've got mixed feelings mm -hmm. about it. I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, Greg Bear is about to deliver his first major new science fiction novel, first major new hard science fiction novel, really, in more than a decade, I would suggest. I mean, he did City at the End of the Stars in 2008, which is six years ago, and you could argue yeah. that's not really a hard SF novel at all. I think. City at the End of Time, yeah. Oh, City at the End of Time, yeah. So this book, War Dogs, which is a real um, Starship Troopers uh, uh, slash f uh, Forever War space story, mm -hmm. sounds really interesting and engaging. Great reviews from uh, Russell Letzel in the November issue of Locus. Uh, I will say... I really, 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 really hate the fact that he's called his antagonist the Antags. It makes me kind of a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, there's something about what feels like clumsy naming to me that just puts me off. But it could I'm also be, really it interested. Could be, it could be meta. Yeah. We hope meta. so. Well, the thing is, one of the things that fascinates me about Greg Bear, uh, as opposed to the other Greg, Greg Benford, mm. is that there are... Well, I, I don't want to say there are two kinds of hard science fiction writers, because there are probably 12 kinds of hard science fiction writers. But Greg learned most of the science on his own. As I recall, Greg was an English major like I was. Yeah. He, he's not a physicist and astronomer. He, um, he clearly is part of the royalty of hard SF. You know, I mean, uh, his, his wife's dad is, you know, was Paul Anderson. 
but I think that the, that the, there's there's always an interesting dialogue going on between people who basically start at the literary end and learn the science, um, and people who start at the science end and learn the literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the antags could be a kind of literary joke. Oh, it Whether could it be. Works, I mean, I'd look at to... look at Snow Crash. I mean, we, we mentioned Neil Stevenson, his new book, a minute ago. Hero protagonist. Hero protagonist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you, you have to groan when you hear hero protagonist, which you're meant to. So I hope no, so, Gary. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other October excitement? I don't know what the months are on these. Okay. Things. Well, I've, I've got I just thought of a weird one that I hadn't even flagged. Which so you guys are all right. This is okay. if you zip off to the PS Publishing website, you can get this now. So I'm going to count an October release. You can okay. get the collected stories of Graham Joyce. Oh yes. Uh, with an introduction, I think, by Owen King. Yes. Um, Maybe, which yeah. is which, yeah. which is interesting. Owen King is this, uh, Owen King is a very good short story writer. All I've done is write his short stories. He's probably I hate to say this. He's probably well known as the son of Stephen King, yeah. who isn't Joe. Um, <laughs> but the fact is that coming yeah. from a purely literary sort of culture that he comes from, uh, he was very excited about doing this uh, introduction and very. Uh, devoted to Graham's work and really wanted to use this book to to bring Graham Joyce's fiction to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Doubleday is doing the same thing with The Ghost in the Electric Blue Suit. They wanted to make that a breakout novel. And it would be really ironic if 2015 does turn out to be the year when the literary world finally discovers Graham Joyce. They're late, but he's worth discovering. What else do you have, <laughs> Gary, before I move on? <clears throat> I'm going to look at some things I've circled here and try to figure out when they're coming out. <laughs> when they're coming out. Well, okay. Um, no, all the ones I seem to have circled here. Well, if we could move up to... Um, I, okay, some of the things I've already circled. If we want to move up to December. One of the things which we hope to talk about more on the um, podcast is the award-winning stories of Harlan Ellison, The Top of the Volcano from Subterranean, which is the closest thing we have seen to a best of Harlan Ellison, this by which I mean that the essential Ellison uh, that, that your friend Terry Dowling did is a wonderful, big, generous book, which is kind of like um, an enormous granite sculpture of Harlan Ellison. But it's yeah. not his best stories. It's his most representative work of a lifetime. That's meant to represent Harlan Ellison, the man. I want to this argue is, with this book so much, Gary. This book is so much the wrong book. It just makes me angry, which is probably the right one? the right. Uh, the Top of the Volcano, the award-winning stories of Harlan Ellison. Oh. It is the wrong book. I want to shake the world. It's still the best book we're going to get, and I'm about to sit down and reread it in advance of the podcast in December. We'll read uh-huh. it in the advance of December. And I'm hoping, we've not set this up, it's not a promise, I hope we can get Harlan on to discuss it, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that would be really interesting. Um, that said, and I, I know, I mean, some of the stories in here are extraordinary, but that said... At the very least, by restricting yourself to the award-winning stories, when in any given year, at, during his, his real pomp, you know, when, when, when Harlan in his pomp in the 60s and 70s, right, could produce mm. four classic stories that would make a Hugo ballot. Only mm. one of those could get on the, in, into this book. And it's my own opinion that I've not made too public, that Harlan's last great story came out in 1986. Mm-hmm. I personally you know. draw a line at Paladin of the Lost Hour. Ah. That's where I think the last great story came out. 
So I think there's stuff from this book that I would not have put in. So that's why, because I've, I passionately want there to be a the best of Harlan Ellison. That's the extraordinary stuff that he did. Because I fear, as I do with some older writers, male and female, that they can become overlooked, forgotten. They stop being the flavor of the month. And then you need this argument for why they're extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways, to, in some cases, I mean, Harlan is primarily a short story writer, uh, to make the argument that they're extraordinary is to put together a book of their most extraordinary work and put it in the hands of people. That was the argument behind the Fritz Lieber Selected Stories work that, that I worked on. That was the argument uh, behind the best of Stan Robinson, even though he wasn't being forgotten, and there's something we'll come to in a minute. But that's why this book, I want to shake it, but I also want to applaud it. I think that's, uh, frankly, that's a, this is a technique for avoiding certain arguments that you might get into. As I recall, yes, we'll, the best of, yes. Connie, yeah. best of Connie Willis was award-winning stories, as I recall. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and that's a way of not getting into arguments. I mean, so basically, you're not getting into arguments with the author. You're not getting into arguments with fans. You're not getting into arguments with awards committee. You're saying, these are the stories which have been recognized by this author. Yep. And there are obviously stories, masterpiece stories, by all of our favorite authors who never even made an awards yep. ballot. It's true. Classics that just disappeared. So to some extent, you're... you're, you're Cutting your losses, you're, you're taking a short <laughs> yeah. thing, award-winning stories, and it's an easy way to do that. When you and Charles did the best of Fritz Leiber, you probably could have done all of the award-nominated or award-winning stories of Fritz Leiber, and you would have missed some of the major ones. Ah, oh, yeah, it's true. So It's, it's going to be a great book, though, and I, I suspect it'll be an absolutely Ooh. essential one that will sell out in 32 seconds, so you should probably pre-order it. To skip mm. back to November very briefly, Ultima, the sequel to Proxima by Stephen Baxter, is coming out. Oh, yes, you want to talk about that one in your hand. Wait a sec. There's also a collected stories from Frank, Frank Herbert. I'm really interested to read a book from Small Press, that, a Small Beer Press that's coming out in November. Uh, mm-hmm. Delia Sherman's new collection, Young Woman in a Garden. And that should be that great. Be yeah. That should be great. And my, my dear friend who was on our podcast last week, Sean Williams, his Crashland, which is the sequel to Twin Maker, is coming out that month as well. So if, if I have time to sit around reading books, those are books that I will be reading in November. Okay, um, I'm trying to throw out titles that uh, that are before the end of this year, and I'm not coming up with any luck. Because I, I went through and I, I okay, I'm just going to throw out a title. I don't care when it comes out. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, we've mentioned, um, let's jump ahead to next March. There's a new Daryl Gregory novel coming out. There is. there is, there is, there is, there is, there is. And Daryl Gregory is one of those writers who is, in a position right now of doing really interesting things, I think it's partly because he's not entirely sure what he wants to do, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, because he followed up um, a uh, zombie novel with a Gibson-esque near th- near future druggy thriller, uh, which I hope is doing very well, and followed that up with a kind of uh, novella from from Tachyon, um, we all completely fine, which is. More or less in the in, in the region of his earlier neurological, very sensitive character study fiction. Yep. I don't know what Harrison Square is going to be. I've not talked to Daryl about it, but I and the fact that I don't know what to expect from a writer. This is the best thing I can say about a writer is when I don't know what the next novel is yep. going to be like. <laughs> that is something to say, and, and and a good thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I can find this. Uh, now, okay. Skip ahead, because you've, you've t- touched on... Ho- December is always a light month for publishing, which is a mercy to all of us, because we're all writing our year in reviews. We're getting ready to eat and drink 
too much with the family and give gifts. We've no. talked about some great books that would be wonderful gifts. And please, one of the things I've learned in this podcast in the last year or so is if you want to support a writer and you really like their work, buy the book when it's brand new in the first four, three, four weeks. So some of these books we're talking about, great Christmas presents. Coot Street, mm-hmm. Pro- Street Podcast recommends almost certainly these books for Christmas. Two books that might come out just in time. They're going to be January books, and sometimes they are out early. And yeah. I think uh, one is a truly bonkers-sounding book, Gary. Uh, everybody knows that we love passionately the work of Joe Walton. Yes. And she had a book out in 2014 called My Real Children. Well, mm-hmm. she has a book out in t- January of 2015 called The Just City. It's the first in a pair of books, at least. And, oh, of course, yes. and if I can just say, it's about Artemis and Apollo deciding to, as an experiment, set up Plato's Republic on an eastern Mediterranean island in the Bronze Age, populating with people snatched from up and down the human timeline. And instead of using slaves, they've got robots from the future. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's like, this is like, like Joe Walton's Riverworld plus other bonkersnessness. Well, you know what it sounds like uh, since, since, since we're into this sort of things that sound like they're bonkers but may not be. Uh, another novel that this reminds me of is, is James Morrow's uh, Galapagos Regained. Regained. Which is a January uh, book as well. That's the other one I was going to mention. Oh, and this apparently is a novel about some Victorian actress who's a part-time assistant to Charles Darwin and ends up going around the world in 80 days and she's on a balloon. It just sounds like Vern and Darwin and Victorian history and the kind of stuff that that Jim Morrow does really well and can be very, very funny. Um, yeah, I've got and, to say, I mean, I'd felt for a couple of the books that, that Jim did, he kind of wrote away from me as someone interested in her books, his books, right? Yeah. He really did. There's a couple of moments. I, you know, the Philosopher's Apprentice didn't sort of grab me, though I might be wrong, and I didn't read The Last Witchfinder. But I love Witchfinder. The books before that knocked my socks off. So these two books for January... Uh, Galapagos Regained and The Just City strike me as being flat out essential. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Those They both look essential. And as long as you mention Joe Walton, I don't know if the book is scheduled or not, but she mentioned it on our 200th anniversary podcast that she's putting together the essays from her review of all the Hugo-nominated books. Yes, not scheduled yet, but yeah. I would love to see that. Now, I have to say as well, with the Jim Morrow, there's going to be a, a short story collection best of of his stuff. And as we just established a moment ago, I love these things. And mm. you're going to write the introduction to this. So hopefully maybe we can get Jim on to talk about the novel and the stories and stuff. Let's plan on that. I think that's um, a plan. Now, I'm having fun what, with the story. The, 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 one of the things I'm saying, because I'm reading his stories right now to, to write this introduction, there are you become a jaded reader after a while. Yeah. Uh, and there were things, I can almost name the books I've read in the last 10 years where there were parts where I laughed out loud. I yeah. laughed out loud at parts of Snow Crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm laughing out loud at some of these Jim Morrow stories. Uh, and it's, I, I'm a jaded critic who shouldn't be doing that. But they're just <laughs> Yes. Well, now, I'll drift on to February and a, another batch of books, often short story stuff that I'm excited about. First of all, okay. Gary, you will recall that not many months ago, in our most downloaded podcast in history... We talked to Joe Abercrombie. And the second half a, this is called half a crown, half a it's kingdom. Half, half the world is what it's called, half Gary. The world. I knew half, it was going to have half the title. Yeah, it's called Half the World. It's the middle book in the trilogy. And, mm-hmm. and, and listeners, I'm about to do something really mean. Watch. 
He has it. I have it in my hand, dear readers. And oh, I am insanely happy about this. I've got to thank the people at HarperCollins UK who sent me a copy. It says in big letters on the cover, the moment you pause will be the moment you die. It's sure to be pulpy and insane and fun and compelling, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. And what I liked about the first volume, and I encourage other trilogy writers to think about this, if their editors and publishers will let them do it, it's efficient. It's going to be a trilogy that comes in at less than the length of one volume of a lot of trilogies. It's true. Because it gets into its story. It tells that there's, there's enough backstory to think this is an interesting world, but it's not a novel obsessed with detailed world building at the expense of a Robert's, it's really a Robert Louis Stevenson novel, the first yeah. one was. And with that level of efficiency, which is a great compliment, because he's one of the great storytelling writers of all time. Um, with that with that in mind, I'm looking forward to the second one, and I don't normally even read fantasy trilogy. Yeah, yes, never, never mind, actually. One of our, our collective bad habits, and I picked it up as a book reviewer when I was reviewing six books a, a month for Charles at Locus, was you read one and you feel you've got the idea of the series, so you don't bother reading the rest of the series because you've got the idea. Well, Which, yeah, it seems a bit much. mad, but you kind of, it's kind of what you happen. You, you need it to look like it's going to be surprising and interesting. This is so compelling, it pulls me back. I think it pulls you back, and I think also there's a sense that you get in some series and not in others that there is an arc. Yeah. Um, if, you read, if you read The Shadow of the Torturer, you know that you're 20 degrees up on an arc that's going to go a long way. You know that this is a fifth of a novel, which it really is. Yep. As opposed to, let's say, The Wheel of Time, where at some point you realize this could just go on forever. Another thing I'm looking forward to, one of the great, and I mean that with all, it has characters, one of the great hard science fiction writers living today uh, delivers his next novel in um, February, and that's Paul McCauley, who's got something coming through, coming out from mm -hmm. Golans, and it is a alien first contact novel set in his Jackaroo universe. He's written a series okay. of stories about the Jackaroo, and this is sort of the beginning of... Uh, of this series as, as novels, just as he did with the Quiet War books where he took an existing right. series of stories and turned that, th them into a set. And I'm really excited about this. This should, should be something really quite quite terrific. If and, it turns out to be as effective as the Quiet War series was, it's something to look out for. And again, you're right, he's one of the major uh, science hard science fiction writers alive. And at least in the States, he's, he's not as visible as he used to be, and that needs yep. to be corrected. And that's all been very chappy, which is great. Um, I have to admit, a book that's scheduled for February, and I'm, I hope it's coming out, and, mm -hmm. and which I'm, may be one of the two books that I am most excited about for the next 12 months, is Kelly Link's Get in Trouble. I was going to mention that next. I was looking at that. I had that circled. Um, this is a new collection. Yes, this is the new collection. The first one since Pretty Monsters back in, I think, 2008. And I'm mm -hmm. looking at an original illustration from that book on, on the wall right now. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, you, you've, got, you've got books there that I can't see. You've got illustrations. You've got, what have I got? I'm going to get some more wine. I can do that. Um, the, 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 you always wonder. Kelly Link is one of the great short story writers of our she time. She is. I think and, that's very easy to say in, in any field. Uh, you always wonder when you look at somebody that you discover... Uh, as stunningly as as uh, as we all did with strange things happen with stories yeah. before that, 
is this is this a writer who's going to grow and develop and be consistently as amazing? I read um, in her own collection, Monstrous Affections, which is now out, her new mm. uh, long story, the, the the new boyfriend, and yeah, it's as original and funny and uh, witty and well shaped as as all the Kelly Link stories. But it's not like the earlier Kelly Link stories, which is one of the things that makes me admire her. It's also going to be interesting because one of the one of the issues in the background of Kelly Link's career, if you want to call it an issue, I'm not sure that's the right way to put it, but one of the things in the background of her career has been when will she write a novel? And we know that she's now at work at a novel. And yep. the stories which appeared in Pretty Monsters particularly, I think, overlapped a period of time when I felt she was trying to teach herself how to write novels. She was creating you know, mm-hmm. um, more direct narratives, uh, less experimental story structures were being used, all this kind of thing. Get in Trouble is like the next phase, so that's really fascinating. I think there's going to be some original material in there, too, so I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, I think so. There are two Um, other good story collections due that month, though, Gary. Paul Park mm -hmm. has other stories coming out from PS. I love Paul Park short stories. Uh And a book that I'm always a bit mixed about, you see. One of the more perplexing figures in our field is our friend Neil. No last name needed. Yes. Because not only is is he a terrific novelist and one who is really, you know, this sounds patronizing to say that he's improved a great deal, but he really has improved enormously as a novelist since Neverwhere came out. And I think you can see mm-hmm. that in the other end of the lane. Oh, sorry, the, 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 oh, the, the end of the lane. But he's got trigger warning short fictions and discoveries coming out. And he tends to put major stories in with a batch of miscellaneous stuff. So this is the next big collection, Trigger Warning. And that's due out in, in, in February as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my batch of February-ness. Do you have any February-ness? There's one February I throw in, which yep. is something I know nothing about. I have no idea what to expect about it, but he's another writer whose relationship to our field is very interesting, and that's Jonathan Latham. Yes. Collection coming out called Lucky Allen and Other Stories. Now, his previous, I don't think I've only one collection of his, his short fiction veers towards science fiction more often than his novels do. And he has a very science fictional imagination. He knows and respects the field. I don't know if there are any stories in this collection that are going to be of special relevance to us, because I've not read much of his short fiction, although... Uh, the, the pieces I've read occasionally in, in, in The New Yorker uh, always have a kind of science fiction or fantasy edge to them. I think he's yeah. one of these writers who writes with that sensibility even when he's yeah. in the mainstream. Yeah, like so I'll be curious. Too, yeah. yes. One other short story collection, uh, which I know nothing about again, and this is jumping way ahead to June, and it's a prime book, which is always interesting, is the first collection of what appears to be ghost stories by Tanana Reeve Du. Ghost oh, wow. Summer Stories. That's very interesting. Uh, Tachyon, actually. Is that just from Tachyon? No, it's from Prime. From Prime? It's wow. Just, Prime's done some really interesting books. I mean, probably the, the great overlooked Prime book of the last five years is the Yoon Ha Lee collection, which not yeah, enough people exactly. have talked about. So this is really interesting. And I've read a little of her short fiction. I, I've read two of her novels. I think she's enormously um, overlooked within the field, although she's gotten a lot of attention outside of our field. Yep. Uh, and the, sh- the sh- short fiction... Uh, could be a major collection of supernatural stories. I assume that's what they are. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure some of them are first rate. And that could be one of the more important collections of the year, actually. Uh, it could. It could, though. I mean, gosh, I mean, anyone who's going to be up against a new Neil Gaiman and a new Kelly Link and whoever else's collections is going to be pushing for that title. I'll, I'll just well, say as an aside, I've deliberately not included any anthologies in this because of, like, sort of, hey, conflict of interest, right? So. Yeah. March has two books. One that I'm stupidly excited about, and one that I think you are going to be very excited about, but I've kind of drifted away from. So, the first Mm. one is 
Justina Robson has a new science fiction novel coming out called The Glorious Angels. Mm-hmm. Now, Justina Robson wrote a, a, just an extraordinary, and I, I can't think of any other word for it, I'm just using hyperbole for these books all the time now, a book called Natural History. Natural History was wonderful. Um, years and years and years ago. And I loved it to death. I thought it was a, a great book. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, she then went off and wrote a really good batch of, I don't know what you call them, a, whole, a, a series of novels that she wrote. And uh, the Quantum Graffiti series, which were popular yeah. and lots of fun. But I felt, we always, okay, we always want writers to write the book we want necessarily, rather than necessarily the books they choose to. Uh, right. Or at least I, I'm I, maybe not we always do, but I do. I'm I'm that's my weakness, and I wanted the book that would follow natural history, and it's been a decade since that book came out, mm-hmm. and now it looks as though the Glorious Angels is the next major science fiction novel. So I'm Sorry. really excited about that. So it's, it's not the quantum uh, universe. No, it's not the quantum gravity stuff at all. This is uh, the the big science fiction novel, is my understanding. And I'm awfully, awfully excited about it. I mean, I, I loved her living next door to the God of Love as well, but this one huh? I can't wait to see. Hopefully, it will be no, this sounds, awesome. It, it, it sounds very exciting. And again, that's 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 another major um, writer, and, yes. and another major British writer who's not really gotten much of a foothold in the United States. Although I, I do think Natural History yep. got a lot of attention here at the time. I should say, uh, a friend of mine, Russell Farr, published a very good collection of hers called Heliotrope, which you can wow. get online and give you a good idea for her work if you can't get a hold of natural history very easily. So, And the other March book, to leap ahead of you, is, is by one wow. of your favorites, who I used to love and then drifted away from reading, Robert Charles Wilson's The Affinities. I like Charles... Robert Charles Wilson... Well, he's a very interesting writer. He's, from a literary, stylistic point of view, everything he's going to write is going to be graceful. The prose is going to be gorgeous. And it's going to be shapely. I think that, and he tries different things. Uh, so yeah. I don't, he's one of the writers I don't know what to expect. I would not have expect, I would, I would not have seen, after reading the Spin uh, trilogy, uh, I would not have seen his writing a steampunk 19th century American alternate history. Yeah. Uh, and, he did it well. I don't know whether he needed to do it, but he did it well, and it was a, it was a compelling, interesting book. Uh, so I don't know what this is going to be, and I'm very fond of him as a writer, and uh, I don't think he uh, repeats himself too much, so I don't think no, we know exactly not. what to expect there. It's true. And, I mean, I loved all the stuff. I don't know why I drifted away from reading it, but I think because I started reading so much short fiction that I had to make sacrifices somewhere. But anyway. Okay. What you got next, Gary? Okay. I have a May book, which a I know book. nothing about. And again, <laughs> It's a Tachyon book, and Tachyon does really interesting things with novellas and short story collections especially. Hanu Rayanyemi, Collected Fiction. Yes, it's on my list too. That's the title. I mean, it can't be all of his novels, so it has to be his collected short fiction. It's a short story. It's, it's, I'm sorry, Gary. That's It's, it, it's, it's his collected short stories. I know because ta- I published a handful of the stories, and Tachyon have been in touch with me to get texts for, for them. So yes, this is the first short story collection from Hanu Ryan Yemi. It's also going to be published in the UK by Golans. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is, to my knowledge, it's, it's if not all, it's certainly going to be all of the major stories he's published to date in his career. And actually, I think it's a really smart thing to do it after he's just completed the trilogy. So yeah. a, it, it will be, it, it stands a good chance of being the best science fiction collection of the year, though there are a couple of contenders back in April. Uh, that's true. 
but again, he's written some excellent short fiction. He has uh, very good short fiction. He has some kind of denseness and, 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 and thoughtfulness that his novels do. So I'm, I, I, I suspect that a lot of us will have already read many of these stories because he tends, he's been tending to show up in the year's best anthologies. quite. And a he's been in my Infinity books and written some very interesting mm-hmm. stories for them. Yeah. So I like his stuff. Back in April, though, some collection, in- story collections. Uh-huh. First of all, PS are going to put out a major New Zealand collection from Steve Baxter called Remembrance. Huh. And something which has been scheduled and rescheduled, which I hope actually comes out in April, a pair of Ian McDonald collections. Uh-huh. Now, Ian is... I love his work. I've loved it since I read it back in the 1980s when he had his you know first collection, first novel came out in the same month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he, he achieved, really achieved maturity as a writer in the 2000s, you know, following on from River of Stars. Yeah. This is a, there's a book, I mean, I think it's actually a terrible title, this one. There's a book called Mars Stories, which is obviously all of the Mars stories that he's got that, circ- that sit around the Aries Express novels. Right. And then there's only the best of Ian MacDonald, which are, is a good chunk, and these will be big, chunky books. And I know that I think there's a new, new, an original novella being written for the Mars book. So both uh-huh. of these should be essential science fiction collections so and alongside remembrance three big ones and actually there's also uh, an ongoing uh, reprint project to to reprint the works of brian aldous and they're putting out the the second collection volume of his collected stories which covers the 1960s which will be major for 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 all this and again because well all this is fascinating i was reading about him and some contexts that I can't recall at the moment, um, as being one of a handful of writers who was who really anticipated the new wave. I mean, he yeah. was writing new wavy stories before Moorcock started uh, making making a crusade out of it. Mm-hmm. And then when he adapted to the new wave, he wrote some really experimental stories, and he continued to write. So he's he's really, you could argue, uh, one of the major. Well, he certainly is one of the major science fiction writers of the 20th century. I read an article, maybe it was an appreciation of him once, where I said that it's very easy to argue that he's he and not Arthur Clarke could be arguably the most important British science fiction writer since Wells. Yeah. And my argument was this. My argument was that Clarke did what he did extremely well in terms of the sense of wonder, in terms of the yeah. blowing your mind imagining. But he tended to do that in more or less the same way over and over again. Uh, all yep. this was all over the map. All this was writing literary fiction. He was writing mainstream novels with science fiction elements. He was writing uh, things like The Dark Light Years and Greybeard, which uh, clearly anticipated uh, the children of men and so forth. Yep. And um, a lot of those things are, uh, are, are classics that are probably all available through the Galant series right now. But if you look at his whole career, which would be revealed in his collected short stories, he's covered a huge amount of territory oh, in the 20th yeah. century. Without a doubt. A fascinating, intelligent, experimental writer uh, with a long and varied career. It was a, a delight to meet him in Brighton last year and really wonderful to see him at uh, Luncon a few months ago. Yeah, I never got to see him at Luncon. Uh, he, was, he was out there t- I know. Sort of pressing the flesh. Got a couple of April novels as well, Gary. One of, okay. uh, two of which at least I think you'll be excited about. One of which I'm excited about because it's a sequel to something I've already read. First ah. of all, after an absence of, I'm going to say, six years? Or is it, I think it'll be six years. 
Um, Paolo Bacigalupi will deliver his first, or, well, sorry, his second adult novel, adult science fiction novel, uh, and, his, and his first since The Wind-Up Girl, uh-huh. back in the day. Uh, and the Water Knife is a, a, it sounds like a classic sort of Bacigalupi novel, right in the middle of the kind of territory that we'd expect to see him writing in. Right. I'm very excited. I hope we'll get him on the podcast to talk about it. I hope we'll look at it, you know, sort of very closely when the time comes. It'll be interesting to see if this novel does what it clearly seems to be uh, positioned to do from, I think it's Knopf, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is which is to make this into a, essentially a mainstream of very timely, this is the novel of the year sort of thing in terms of, uh, of the Water Wars. I think we've talked to Paolo about it, and it's clearly near future. It clearly deals with an issue that's very crucial right now in the American West. And by extension, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, it'll be once. It, 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 he's 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 had an unusual career in the sense that uh, he wrote some very science fictiony science fiction with his short fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, Wind Up Girl was accessible enough to make uh, a mainstream reputation, as you remember. Lev Grossman in Time Magazine listed it as one of the ten novels of the year, not one of the ten science fiction novels. Yeah. So he had he had he made some mainstream inroads with that novel. Um, he's made other kinds of mainstream inroads in YA, and it'll be interesting to see if the wind-up girl really breaks out um, of, of, of genre readers and becomes a book that everybody talks about. Looking at the description for the book, wind-up water knife. Looking at the description of the water knife, uh, I think it's going to be related to, and you get, probably get a feel for it if you read a story of his called The Tamarind Hunter. Tamarind uh, Hunter. Tamarind Hunter? Sorry, so it's that sort of thing. So that looks, that's major. Major, 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 major. Uh, the other one of the other books I'm looking forward to is Libba Bray's new novel, Lair of Dreams. Now this uh-huh. is a supernatural fan, uh, a dark supernatural fantasy set in the time of the the flapper era in the United States, uh, and is a sequel to a book called The Diviners, which I read when it came out two years ago and loved. Really, really good, good, good novel. She's a great writer. Really interesting, always sharp and witty and on the on the money. So it will be a highlight of the year beyond a doubt. You suppose uh, we could put novel together with uh, Genevieve Valentine's uh, uh, The Girls at the Kingfisher Club and We, we could, we could. I mean, Flapper Punk? Yeah. <laughs> Flapper Punk. I don't know if it's Flapper Punk. I will say that uh, in addition to your very positive review of Genevieve's book, that um, uh, my wife just read the book mm-hmm. and loved it. Got it from the local public library of all places. I was, and so given that it's not been published in this country, it quite, was quite interesting to see that that was the case. That's fascinating. Isn't life interesting, Gary? Um, now I'm, I, I'm glad to know that I'm, I'm, I, I love it that Marianne gets books out of the public library. I don't know when the last time I've been to a public library is. Yeah, I don't um, like public libraries. I, I like I, I just want to buy my books. I don't know why. It's bad. Uh, and libraries are a magnificent things. So, uh, but she loved it, and right. it's interesting that we mention it because it's relevant that we talk about her about Genevieve because a book that we didn't talk about for March. And ties to a book that we should talk about for April as well is Genevieve's first science fiction novel, Persona, or second science fiction novel, Persona, which is coming out uh-huh. from uh, from Saga Press, Joe Monty Saga Press. We talked to him about it mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And that looks really interesting. I'll be checking it out. But the, probably for a lot of people, the Saga Press book that we're all waiting for the most is also an April title. And is someone mm-hmm. who also we hope to have on the podcast. And that is The Grace of Kings 
the first enormous looking, I think, uh, uh, like 700 page book, the uh, first uh, fantasy novel from Ken Liu. That will be fascinating. Um, and Ken Liu is also uh, one of the other reasons we want to talk to him. And are going to talk to him, Ken, if you're out there, we're coming. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible and threatening you, you you poor man run run you <laughs> yeah well he um we, we we mentioned this last week on on, on the podcast the yeah. um, the three body problem by uh she I, I'm, I'm gonna take a wild stab and say she's in lu not a relative but a the leading chinese um science fiction novelist for the last 20 years which is the first novel in a trilogy of which ken yeah. has translated apparently the first and third volumes mm-hmm with some someone else translating the second volume. I don't know when we'll see the second and third volumes. But between Ken's own novel and his work, and really indefatigable and very admirable work in bringing Chinese science fiction to the attention of Western audiences, mm-hmm. uh, I think I'd love to talk to him about uh, about both. Yes, very much, very much. So that's a book I'm really looking forward to. There is an oddity coming out in the UK the same month, and you and I mm-hmm. talked about it a moment ago. I've now done a little bit of research about it now where has it gone i'm going to talk about it uh head of zeus is a uh british sf imprint and they're doing a 600 a 700 page peter watts book called firebrand i think it is and firebrand is an omnibus of echopraxia and it's it's a farfall farfall is is a omnibus of blindsight and and um echopraxia which just came out from tour and that's uh-huh. that's due out in a little while. Has a great cover. Looks fantastic. Worth picking up. And Head of Zeus are a really interesting interesting imprint. A friend of mine raves about them. Stefan Brazil, who's uh, give, from Stefan's book, mm-hmm. who's given us books here. So anyway, that's April for me. Do you have anything else, April? I got a little bit for May, and then we're out of here. So Gans- glancing through these things and seeing what if they do. I have anything else from April? I don't know. I'm this this is not in order. Okay. Uh, okay, you already mentioned Frank Herbert's collector's stories. Go ahead with your next one. I'll see if it's... Everyone's going to realize how ramshackle these recommendations are, Gary. Not because we're not passionate, but because there are so many books that we can overlook good ones. And people will say, well, you haven't recommended this. You, you know, you're you missing that. And you're going, well, yes, it's flawed. Well, partly because this isn't a researched list, really. This is us zipping through some stuff we know that's coming that we're excited about, right? Yeah, and I don't think people care that much if we get the right date or not. Are we into Are we into May now? We are into May, and goodness, there's a couple of big ones. Well, uh, for one, there's uh, I, there's Nettie Okorafor's The Book of Phoenix, which is related to her World Fantasy Award-winning novel. Yes. Uh, the, the, the Book of Phoenix was um, re- referred to throughout um, Who Fears Death. And presumably, and she's been working around in this for years now, I know, and that can be a very interesting book, which is uh, due out from Daw. Yeah, it's due out from Daw, who published um, Who Fears Death. It has been described very recently by Nettie as a prequel to Who Fears Death. Uh, And I know some of the short stories that... circulate around it or, or have been made to a part of it have previously been published on by Clark's world. And uh, I've, yeah. I've read a batch of them and they're probably in Kabu Kabu or something. And they're really, really interesting. I mean, that is a terrific writer and that will be great. Uh, James Blaylock has a new book out beneath London. He's been, that's on back, my, that's on his, list. Hmm? It's on your list. Because I, it's at some point when I, when I'm retired, I'm going to go back because we were talking um, about Paul Cornell's novel. And we were talking to Paul. Mm-hmm. I want to read all the subterranean novels there are. Um, <laughs> I've never 
somewhere, and there's Paul Cornell's novel, and it looks like Jim is doing this, and there probably there's uh, uh, Dan Simmons. I mean, there's a whole library of subterranean yeah. novels. This is just like I want to do. I'm about to do an anthology, I think, of Drowned Futures, because there's a whole batch of those out there as well. Yeah. Subterranean. Maybe maybe we should tap our friend um, Bill Schaefer on the shoulder and say, look, maybe Subterranean Press should do an anthology of subterranean stories. Subterranean anyway, stories for Subterranean Press. It, it should be and great, could, and it, it might get, I don't know whether whether it's a Langdon's and Ives novel or not. Certainly, the, the steampunk stuff has carried on from. I loved his Pacific stuff that he did in the eighties and nineties. Uh, Jim Blaylock. Uh, that stuff was just amazing. But this 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 should be terrific. And I think if, if if somebody has done the archaeology of steampunk, uh, we all know now it's, it's it's part of science fiction folklore that the term comes from a letter that K.W. Jeter wrote to Locus back in 1987, yep. I think. Um, but he was talking about Blaylock and himself um, and Tim Powers. And it's difficult to actually talk about something that seems to be the ur-steampunk, one of the origins yeah. of steampunk. It has to be one of Blaylock's early novels or... One of Tim Powers' very early novels. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's interesting you mentioned Tim because because it was a short short story. I didn't touch on it, uh-huh. but for those of you out there who are interested, which should be every single person listening to the Cude Street podcast, um, in October, just this month or next month, I think there's going to be a novelette or a, novel, a short novella published as a standalone book by Subterranean Press called Nobody's Home by Tim Powers. Which and Nobody's to... Home is the first Anubis Gates story since the 1980s. Although, if I'm not mistaken, there are very subtle allusions to the characters in the Anubis Gates that show up a couple of times later yep. on. Yep. And um, on... Yeah. So certainly that poet that he and Blaylock invented together, Ash Bless. Good old Ash William Ash Bless. Yes. That, Gosh, those chaps have fun, that, that Powers and Blaylock. They did. I mean, they must have had... I, I just think that... Uh, well, I mean, you can look at it. This is the difference between literary people and um, techie people. Yeah. You, know, you can see uh, Jim and and, and, and and Tim sitting around uh, thinking up this great early... late romantic early Victorian poet, William Ashbless. And we all love that, and we want to find out all there is. And I was totally taken in. I knew Ash Bless was fake, but I didn't want him to be fake. I wanted to find out stuff, and they were both playing with him. And so, so while people like us are doing that, the other the other geeks are inventing Apple. <laughs> I will, yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that that is strongly recommended. And I've got one final book on my list, Gary. Then I can close my list oh. up. The last book is a major science fiction novel. We've had a bunch of use the words major and the other words uh, magnificent too often, but major science fiction novel from one of our great science fiction novelists. And that book is Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson, his generationship novel, which is mm-hmm. due, out, due out in May and apparently deconstructs the whole idea of generationships, what they're about, whether they can succeed or not. And whilst you, you know, that description sounds a little bit dry, I think it will probably be just an extraordinary book. If, if it's half as good as 2312, it'll be one of the books of the year. I think it'll be a book that fits in with 2312 and that probably fits in with um, maybe maybe not with Galileo's Dream, but certainly with, with his Mars books, because 2312 yeah. fits in with the chronology of the Mars books. I talked to, I, I talked to Stan about this. Uh, he was actually addressing my class via Skype once, 
And <laughs> part of the argument behind this, and it's, a, it's an argument that I think Jeff Ryman would, would sympathize with, was that 2312 is one of the many solar system novels we've talked about. And you've done an anthology uh, on, on, on this very topic, confining ourselves to the solar system. His argument is that a generation starship, according to him, isn't going to work. And he's going to show it why it won't work. And to some yeah. extent, if we read Aurora, we will then understand why we need to worry about the world of 2312, because that's going to be it. Yes. Yes. I wonder if we should put a list of these books up on the, on the, on the website. We should certainly put some of them up. There's one. Uh, let, me, let me throw in a plug for myself. Please do, Gary. What, what, what have you been doing? Well, this is an academic book uh, or a reference book or something called The Oxford Handbook to Science Fiction, edited mm -hmm. by Rob Latham from um, Rob Latham from Oxford University Press. It's $150. It has 44 essays in it. That's, don't, it's don't, not, hey, Gary, don't, don't sort of put it down. You can get it for 130 in ebook. Oh, even better. Um, trying to figure out, I should know this. I should have had this. I ran, ran away and grabbed the book. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of these things which is not an encyclopedia. It's not trying to do what the encyclopedia does. Um, but uh, besides myself, there are essays in it by, you know, by Brian Atterbury, by Farrah Mendelssohn, uh, Mark Bold. Yep. Um, a lot of people uh, that, uh, that we know the work of. Cheryl Vint, David Seed, yep. Roger Lockhurst. Um, I thought Adam Roberts. Yes, Adam Roberts is in here. Yep. Um, He's got a new novel out too, yeah. Yeah, so it's I have not I can't say I've read all of it yet, but it's uh, it's a big book and it has illustrations. So if yep. somebody wants to get the latest uh, sort of weighty reference to him about science fiction, that's it. My essay's pretty good. I know that's the only one I've read, so it's yep. And I guess there's a few other things. I mean, I'm interested to read um, coming out towards the end of our this period will be one of the last of Twelfth Planet Press's Twelfth Planets. Ah, I think they're, they're, they're just about to publish, I think, one by Rosaline Love, which Elise was talking about last year. But I have to buy Anna Tambor's The Finest Ass in the Universe, if only because I think I have to have a book called The Finest Ass in the Universe. That's a great thing. And I, 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 I read, I, I know one of her earlier books, I think, was on the shortlist for a Crawford Award some time yep. ago. Yep. Uh, and uh, so, I, so I read that. That's, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. And it's a great title. You're absolutely right. Yep. Let me plug in... As long as we're there's so many things. go. We could go on and on forever, Gary. And well, I mean, there's a there's a there's a um, Anne and Jeff Vandermeer anthology on feminist speculative fiction. Yeah, that looks uh, good. From PM uh, Sisters of the Revolution coming See, out. I wasn't going to talk about anthologies, Gary. Well, I'm going to talk about anthologies because I only mentioned that one <laughs> by way of getting to Fearsome Magics, which ah. is just out. Uh, the the new Solaris book of fantasy two. Uh, and it's already getting some terrific reviews and almost certainly has award-nominated stories in it. Oh, I hope so. I love the, I, I particularly love, I, I confess, the um, the uh, Robert Shearman story that's in there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a book I'm happy with. And, you know, I'm just working on the next Infinity book, which will be out next year. And talking about beyond that uh, with, with the publisher as we speak. In fact, we're in the middle of discussions, so. Well, just as a curiosity, yeah. asking, brief, briefly interviewing you as an editor, is there a is there a cross training thing that goes on when you move from a fantasy anthology like Fearsome Magics to an SF anthology? It's like, okay, you've been on the treadmill and now you're going to do some crunches. 
No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I, I wish it was also defined and, and, and straightforward. No, it's just, it's all fun all at once. And the, the thing is, well, the, the other thing is that the books are all done uh, concurrently. They appear discreetly, but they're worked on concurrently. Yeah, so, you know, so it's like right now I'm working on the best of the year nine and contracting stories, that kind of thing. I'm working on meeting infinity. I'm talking to the publisher about doing the Drowned Worlds book I just mentioned to you a second ago. Oh, you're well. going to call it Glub? <laughs> I was hoping to call it Drowned World of Wild Shores, but I might have to come up with something more original, but we'll see. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's where all that is. And there's a few other things that, 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 that are out there to do. Lots and lots. But this is us at the end of our hour. We have managed to waffle our way through when we really had no idea what to talk about. I actually think it's pretty useful. I, I will freely admit goodness we probably have missed a lot of great books well, and people, we've talked to our blind spots and all that they but, should let us know on the website if there are major books we've missed and I, i'm willing even to say that if you go to the website at uh either cootstreetpodcast.com which works mm -hmm. or to my website at jonathansrand.com.au slash wp and if you comment on on this podcast about books you're looking forward to we promise probably in about three or four uh weeks to come back and just talk about those books too because we're not trying to overlook anybody's books deliberately these are ones where we've skimmed a list and thought these are all books we're excited about books and that we're books comfortable to say the cood street if not the cood street podcast recommends certainly uh -huh. the cood street podcast anticipates which wouldn't be the most exciting sticker to put on a book but still We'll oh, oh, we missed one. We missed one. Well, we, missed, <laughs> we, missed, I, 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 we missed Karen Lord's sequel. We uh, did the Galaxy Game. We missed James, James Bradley's Clade. James Bradley's Clade, which is, sounds sounds like a fascinating It really does have really good. And the bit that I've read was really, really good. But I went, you know. Oh, and uh, we didn't mention... <laughs> we didn't mention Johannes Denisalo's The Blood of Angels. Yeah, I see. Which, and th th this is why, in fact, we, we need someone like, say, Neil Harrison to come on our podcast to talk about stuff as well. Do you think if we mention well, Neil Harrison coming on our podcast every week, eventually he'll give in? Eventually? If we do that, do you think he will? I don't know. Let's try it. <laughs> I don't. I, that's unfair. It is. Actually, that does begin to smack of bullying. I don't want to bully Neil Harrison to come onto our podcast, but he should come on our Neil podcast. Neil writes with elegance, and I know exactly how he feels. Oh, sure. Uh, not that I that I write with elegance, but I feel that if I write, I'm controlling what I'm saying, and when I'm doing a podcast, I'm thinking, oh my God, I hope I didn't say that. Yeah, mostly you're hoping, well, mostly I'm hoping I, that I never have to listen to it. So. But there's that too, yeah. Anyway, with that, I, yeah. I, I hereby call, call episode 204 done, Gary K. Wolf. And this is episode and we will is this episode again next week for episode 205. That seems likely. As we begin our long, slow slide towards number 500. <laughs> oh, God. A long, quick slide towards World Fantasy. Which well, is... well, that won't be any slide. There's a plane that will go forever, Gary, and they'll be flying. And, 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 and oh, yes. Until then, we remain Coot now Street. as ever the Cootsby Podcast. <laughs>